The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Investigators are still trying to figure out what went wrong on the set of the Western film Rust. How did live ammunition not only get on set, but into the chamber of the gun actor Alec Baldwin used, accidentally killing the cinematographer and wounding the director? Santa Fe County Sheriff Adam Mendoza says there were some safety issues on the set. There was complacency. That's, that's obvious. I think there was some disorganization um, and, uh, and some uh, safety issues and protocols that weren't properly followed. District Attorney Mary Carmack Altwee says criminal charges are possible and no one has been ruled out at this point. If the facts and evidence and law support charges, then I will initiate prosecution at that time. Joining me is former federal prosecutor Ellie Honig. Ellie, the sheriff confirmed that two people had handled the gun before Baldwin, the assistant director Dave Halls and the armorer Hannah Gutierrez. And Halls told investigators he had failed to check all the rounds in the gun before handing it to Baldwin. How damaging is that admission? I think if we run through these three people, you know, starting with Alec Baldwin, and we're talking just criminally here, it's really hard to see a criminal charge against him. All that I've gathered and heard from people who are experts in this field is an actor has every right to bank on and count on the security and safety people around him. And if you're handed a gun and told that's a cold gun, there's no obligation, criminal obligation on an actor to confirm that independently. Most actors would not be able to do that. Going to the assistant director, to Halls, he's got trouble. And it's exactly the fact that you just mentioned. If ordinarily a person in that job would be expected to inspect the gun, certainly before handing it to an actor and saying it's a cold gun, and he did not do that, that could well be negligence. And the law here under New Mexico law would be involuntary manslaughter, which means that somebody act with criminal negligence or recklessly. So that means not just made a mistake, but made a sort of inexcusable mistake, created an inexcusable danger in violation of some duty of care that they owed to somebody. This, to me, is the clearest indication of potential criminality that we've seen so far. And then if you take it out, the third person here is the armorer, Ms. Gutierrez. And again, it comes down to what were her obligations, what did she do and not do, and how did a live round end up on that tray where the AD apparently took it off. The armorer, Gutierrez, told detectives that on the morning of the shooting, she checked the dummy bullets to ensure none were hot. But since there was obviously a hot bullet in there, is there a possibility of charges against her? There is a possibility. It would depend how that happened, how a live round came to be in a gun that was on the tray. If she missed it, that could be negligence. If she looked right at it but was not, let's say, properly trained on how to identify or differentiate, that could be negligence. If when she wasn't looking, somebody misplaced it, or I'm making these hypotheticals up, or somebody put a live round in a gun that after she inspected it, unknown to her, or something like that. So you can see scenarios either way for her. The sheriff said they're looking into the history of Halls and Gutierrez. 
to determine if any negligence took place. How would their history play into this decision? Yeah, it's a good question because I'm not sure to what extent a judge would allow a person's history in. Judges tend to be fairly tight when it comes to what we call other bad acts evidence, meaning, well, this person did a similar thing years ago. You would have to show a tighter nexus. I think it's an important part of the overall picture, and I think it could come into play in civil suits. If we see somebody sue, let's say, the production team and say, well, you hired somebody who you knew had a long history or should have known had a history of violations or problems. But in the criminal context, in other words, let's assume, let's say, hypothetically, the AD had a prior incident where he left a live round in a gun and it was fired and maybe didn't hit somebody, so we never really heard about it. I'm not sure a judge would allow that into a case relating to the Rust set because um, it would be seen as not directly relevant to was the person negligent in that instance. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but I've had enough of these trials where judges have said, no, you you can't put in evidence just to show that someone sort of um, has a habit. You, you You can introduce prior evidence if it goes to this direct incident. So um, I think it's important to know. I'm not confident that a judge would let it in. Do you think with all the publicity about this, there's pressure on the DA to bring charges? There certainly does seem to be pressure. The DA and the sheriff came out and did a press conference, which is an unusual step. Usually as the prosecutor, you'd prefer to say nothing unless and until you had a final decision. They came out, and I I think they did actually a fairly professional job of answering whatever they could without saying improper things about their pending investigation. But yeah, I do think that there's pressure on the DA to bring a charge, but countervailing that is you never, as a prosecutor, want to bring a charge. You cannot bring a charge that you do not believe is justified by the facts, and you certainly, just from her own sense of political survival and preservation, you don't want to bring a charge that ends up crashing and burning, that ends up being rejected by a judge or being rejected by a jury. So you need to make sure you have all your facts in line, and you need to make sure that you believe it's a justified and righteous charge. Good prosecutors can work past that and can make their decisions without regard to public pressure. But look, she's also a human being and understands that there is pressure here. Let's talk about civil liability, because the L.A. Times reports that five days before the shooting, Baldwin's stunt double accidentally fired two live rounds after being told the gun didn't have any ammunition. And a crew member texted a unit production manager saying, we've now had three accidental discharges. This is super unsafe. Also, several camera crew members walked off the set that morning. Gutierrez didn't have much experience as an armorer. Even the sheriff said there seemed to be some complacency in how weapons were handled on the set. This all seems to make for a strong civil case. Yeah, I think so. And the important thing to remember is there's a lower burden of proof in a civil case. You only have to prove negligence, not criminal negligence, which is a higher standard. And of course, you only have to prove your case if you're a plaintiff by a preponderance of the evidence, meaning more likely than not versus in a criminal case, the prosecutor has to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. All of these things, I think, combine to make a pretty powerful civil case against the people who are in charge of the set, whether it was the producers or the production company. And the argument you make is when you look at the totality of this, the number of complaints that came in and were not acted on, the qualifications and prior problems of the people that were hired, you knew or absolutely should have known 
that this was a dangerous workplace and someone got injured as a result. I do think we will see civil suits. And boy, I would really expect those suits to settle because this is going to be a tough case to defend. I think it's a strong civil suit. Any film is going to require insurance coverage, but would negligence be necessarily covered? Yeah, that's a good question. It depends on the policy. Um, Sometimes policies, you know, most people do have liability insurance, and I would assume that applies to a movie set, um, which can cover negligence. Usually it does not cover intentionality. Um, So typically, in my experience, in insurance policy, you would have have to have an insurance policy if you're running a production company. Um, And most insurance policies can cover negligence, but what they don't cover is intentionality or sometimes, you know, gross negligence, sort of next level negligence. So it depends where the individual policy draws the line. Thanks, Ellie. That's former federal prosecutor Ellie Honig. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Celebrities versus paparazzi. Lady Gaga sang about it, and we've all seen nasty filmed encounters. So it may seem a little backwards that since June, photographers have filed more than a dozen lawsuits against celebrities for posting photos of themselves on social media. Paparazzi photos they don't own the rights to. My guest is intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross, a partner at Catanuchin Rosenman. So, Terry... Celebrities are caught by a paparazzi and unwillingly become the subject of a photograph that's published. They post the photo on social media, and then the paparazzi sues them for using the photo. Something seems off with that. It sure does seem off, but the way the copyright laws in the United States are written is that the copyright protection is given to the creator of a work. And in this case, the creator of the work is the photographer who happens to be a paparazzi. The celebrity who is captured in the photograph is not actually the creator of the work, although much of the value in the photograph may be attributable to the subject of the photograph. The copyright laws are strictly concerned with protecting creators of works. And here the paparazzi, as the photographer, qualifies as the creator of the work and gets the copyright protection. Does it factor in anywhere that a photo may be being made without the consent of the celebrity or the person whose photo is being taken? Not with respect to copyright ownership. It matters in other regards. I have done for multiple magazines and for one university system photography policies in which we lay out when a magazine photographer or university photographer is allowed to take photographs and and then use them in a commercial way uh, of people in, in the public just walking down the street on the campus, whatever. And they're pretty strict guidelines to, to follow. 
But that has to do with commercial exploitation of an image as opposed to the copyright here. So one way to think about this is if you were simply walking down the street and you saw a celebrity and you pulled out your phone and took a quick picture, I mean, you would you'd be allowed to do that and to keep it and show it to your friends. And you would own the copyright in that, even if you didn't register it with the copyright office. Where the celebrity starts to get a little bit of power in the equation is if you attempt to then exploit the celebrity's image and likeness by using it to sell a product that you are pushing upon the marketplace. Suppose I just sell the photo to a tabloid. Is that okay? It is clearly okay. For one thing, it would be arguably protected by the First Amendment. Tabloids do have First Amendment protection for freedom of speech, although some celebrities may not like that. The real issue for the celebrities is when those photos are sold to a luxury goods manufacturer who uses it in a campaign. Celebrities get paid very large amounts of money to endorse products and to endorse services. And if instead of having to pay them millions of dollars for those endorsements, they can pay a paparazzi a few thousand dollars for a photograph of a celebrity wearing their product, uh, that's, that makes it so worthwhile for the manufacturer of that product to do business with the paparazzi instead of the celebrity. Does the celebrity have a case there for the commercial exploitation of his or her image? Absolutely. If the product manufacturer goes about it in the wrong way, in certain states, but California is one of them, there are common law and statutory causes of action for the unauthorized exploitation of a person's uh, name, likeness, or image. But that would be against the party using the photograph to sell their product. That's not a lawsuit against the paparazzi. In these cases, if they go to court, is there any defense? The paparazzi just says, I took this photo, it's my copyright, pay me. So I have seen fair use defenses asserted by celebrities to such copyright lawsuits. I think that's a stretch for a whole bunch of reasons, not the least of which is that under the fair use test, you only use as much as is minimally required in order to achieve certain types of societally favored uses, such as teaching, news reporting. And that's not typically how the celebrity is using this photograph taken from a paparazzi shoot. They're typically using it to enhance their own image, their own brand, or to actually sell some product. And the fair use defense falls apart in those sorts of circumstances. So I won't say that there are no viable defenses, but it is a very difficult lawsuit to defend against. So, Terry, Backgrid USA, which calls itself one of Hollywood's largest celebrity photograph agencies, is looking for as much as $1.2 million in damages for actress Lisa Rinna posting eight unauthorized photos of her and her daughters. I mean, is that demand for damages way out of line? Because if the photos were sold, they wouldn't bring anything close to that amount. That's correct, June. There are two approaches to damages for copyright infringement. One is known as statutory damages. We recognize that it's hard sometimes to quantify the damage caused by infringement of a copyright. And so we simply set a schedule of what the damages should be. And that ranges from $750 
up to $150,000. The range depends in large part upon the willfulness involved. So if it's a completely accidental, innocent use, it's at the lower end. If it's a willful use, knowing that there's a copyright involved, using it to gain some commercial advantage, the numbers could be much higher. So that's in a statutory damage scheme. But separately, you can simply sue for the lost profit that the photographer has given up because their photo was taken. Again, that's seldom going to be in the $1.2 million range. That's going to be more in the $3,000 to $5,000 range. Well, she's actually fighting this, and she, and her lawyer claims that Backgrid's allegations are barred because the agency has effectively weaponized the Copyright Act in an effort to augment its income. That sounds like a good argument to make you know, to the media, but is that a legal argument? No, I agree completely with you. That's a uh... Nice rhetoric to use um, in the media, and I saw that line get quoted in a number of news stories about the lawsuit already. Um, I think that that one would be hard pressed in front of a competent judge um, to throw that up as a defense. Um, It might be uh, that there's an argument sort of underneath that that says that um, according a copyright in these circumstances is inappropriate because of the circumstances under which the photograph was taken. So this is often the case if uh, uh, the paparazzi has broken into your house and taken a photograph um, of you getting out of the shower, for example, or a more simple case, um, you're lying by the pool in your backyard surrounded by a 10-foot-high privacy fence with signs that say no trespassing, and they climb on top of the fence to take a photograph of you. In in those circumstances, there's at least a kernel of an argument um, that a copyright should not be awarded under those circumstances. But even that's not um, a defense that I would consider particularly strong um, in front of a judge. Really? Even if the images are stolen? So that's a different case. If If the image is one that you took and was stolen by someone, then that person who stole the images is not the creator of the work and has no copyright. It's only the creator of the work. Um, the, the sort of circumstances we're talking about are where the paparazzi goes to um, okay. extraordinary lengths um, to get photographs that really aren't in, in public. They're in private circumstances, private moments. Um, and, and they have somehow managed, either by climbing a fence or looking in a window, to get a photograph. Um, that that is a completely different animal, um, and that's the sort of thing that used to go on in the 70s and 80s, and was blamed for Princess Di's um, unfortunate death in a in a motor vehicle accident. Um, a lot of that has stopped. Um, the the courts, particularly in California, started issuing restraining orders, calling that harassing behavior or trespassing. Um, and criminal warrants were issued in some cases. And, and a lot of that behavior has, has stopped. Um, what the celebrities now are most commonly victimized by is simply they go out in public, they are walking their dog, they are pushing their baby carriage, they are eating breakfast at a restaurant, they're getting coffee at Starbucks. Um, they may not have their makeup on, um, they may not ha- have their hair perfectly coiffed, and someone takes a photograph of them and then uh, publishes it in. Um, a tabloid or, or some other uh, make some other use of it. That's what they're complaining about. And, and that is a much harder 
um, uh, case to make for the celebrity because they have gone out themselves into the public and, and thus allowing anyone to observe them, let alone take photos. And in some of the more egregious cases we've heard about recently, June, the, the celebrities actually text the paparazzi ahead of time and let them know that they're going to be buying a Starbucks at such and st- such a corner so that the paparazzi know to show up and take photographs. You know, it's it's different times, the different type of paparazzi that we're dealing with now uh, who are much more likely to play by the rules, which makes it very hard to, to, to defend against these lawsuits. A very prolific pap- paparazzi told Bloomberg that when he goes to a newspaper with images, he has to fill out a memo attesting to, quote, every intricacy of how he obtained his photos. So I guess it is a different world in that respect. That is a very common practice nowadays. I've actually written uh, several of these guidelines for uh, uh, well-known magazines um, when they get uh, not just third-party photographs from paparazzi, but when they get their uh, get photographs from in-house photographers who have been sent out with a commission to get a particular photograph. Um, there is um, a series of questions that need to be asked by the publication before they they, they, they purchase the work and publish it. Um, and one of the key questions is, was the subject of the photograph in a public place? And did you present them in a fair light? Um, and did you do anything that could be implied to be harassment? Um, and, and if those questions aren't answered correctly by the photographer, um, a reputable magazine um, will not publish those photographs. And so the paparazzi have sort of learned that they want to sell their photographs. They got to jump through the, the these hoops and take the photographs in the right way. So Backgrid has been following a lot more of these in the last few years. Has this become like a secondary business, the suing of celebrities who then most of the time will settle? So there are certain photography organizations who, who seem to be attempting to to, to monetize um, the work in, in new ways, such as through um, litigation. The, the reality here is that there is nowadays a symbiotic relationship uh, between celebrities and the paparazzi. And so although there has been an uptick, I don't think you're going to see this becoming um, an ongoing trend in which all the paparazzi do this. Um, I do think that this particular organization um, has a tendency to file suit. And what is going to happen is that the celebrities uh, will figure out that they should not use um, photographs from that organization or cooperate with their paparazzi um, and uh, work with others. Are there cases where a photographer can't get a copyright for a photograph? Historically, there was a big question mark as to whether or not photographs were entitled to copyright in the first place because they are merely capturing representations of the real world. And the courts had to stretch to say that, no, the photographer affects what's being seen through their choice of angle, the way they tint the photographs, expose the photographs, so that there is creative work. But I have seen some cases where the courts have said this is nothing more than a capture of a real-world image, 
with no creativity being used whatsoever, and therefore we're not going to accord it any sort of copyright entitlement. Most of these paparazzi photographs, you could argue, have that small amount of creativity that's required to qualify for copyright, but we'll have to wait and see what the courts say about these cases. Terry, what strikes me is these celebrities have photo shoots all the time. They have lots of ways to get shots of themselves. Why use a paparazzi photo, or are they just unaware that they can't do that? I think there is a general unawareness on the part of celebrities and people at large as to who has ownership of photographs of this sort that are taken in the public. And I think they will be learning over time, and hopefully their management will teach them better. But you're absolutely right, you You would think that they would have ample quantities of such (laughs) images to publish on their own if they wanted to and set aside even professional. Why can't they do like everyone else and just take a selfie if they think the moment is so great? Good point, Terry. That's Terrence Ross of Catamuchin Rosenman. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.